0: Gracious King, our Lord and our Father, we bless your name. In this short time that you have given to us on this earth, we pray that we can be faithful to the calls that you have placed on our hearts, that we could respond to the indescribable love that comes from you, O Heavenly Father, the strength that comes from you, O precious Spirit. And the sacrifice that comes from you, dear Jesus, our advocate and our brother. Grant that today we could be awakened to the eternal purpose of life. And that you would lift us up from the fog of a fallen world. And grant that we could see with clarity the beauty of heaven and the promise of salvation. Through Jesus, we offer this prayer. Amen. 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 Next week, I'm beginning a series of lessons that will cover the summer months or summer summer weeks uh, entitled, This Sacred Home. This Sacred Home. You or somebody you know might need a reminder that the family is God's idea and the family is God's work maybe your home feels anything like anything but sacred. From God's perspective, what happens in your home is sacred work up and down those hallways, in that kitchen, in the bedrooms. That's God's work. And we're gonna talk beginning next week about how God can redeem a home. And so if you or somebody you know could use that reminder, please put that on your calendar. And if you have travel plans this summer, Cancel them. <laughs> no, log online. As many of you are watching right now all over the world, we welcome you for and log- watching online. That will begin a week from this morning. This is Pentecost Sunday on the liturgical calendar, which is a wonderful coincidence because this is Baptism Sunday at the Oak Hills Church. Pentecost is the celebration of the birth of the church and it's remembered as the time when Peter preached what we might call the first ever gospel sermon after the resurrection of Christ in the city of Jerusalem he preached a sermon and at the end of that particular sermon when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, that includes us, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation." And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread in prayer." Christians participate in two God-ordained sacraments. One is baptism and the other is communion. A communion is celebrated on a regular basis. And baptism is a one-time event in which a person publicly proclaims and declares their faith in God. Baptism, in many ways, is like a jewel. If you pick up a jewel and look at it, 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 it may be attractive, but in and of itself, it's not that special. But when you take that jewel and place it up against the backdrop of a piece of black velvet or or shine a light upon it, uh, you begin to see things you've never seen before. Baptism is like that. In and of itself, it's, it's, it's nothing special about being lowered into a body of water and lifted up. But when you take that moment and you place it against the backdrop of our sin and you place it in the light of the cross of Christ. It comes to life. And you begin to see that baptism has, like a jewel or like a diamond, many sides, many facets. It is a picture of resurrection. It is a promise of a life dying and a life beginning. It is a picture of cleansing. It is a picture of a new birth. It is a demonstration of obedience. It is a willing plunge of a willing believer into the promise and into the power of Jesus Christ. Once a person admits their need for sin, I'm sorry, their need for Savior and the existence of sin, a step must be taken. And that step is baptism. So important was this ritual or this moment that from what we can tell, with the exception of the thief on the cross, Every single believer in the New Testament was baptized. And most importantly, Jesus, the only person who never needed to be baptized, was baptized. Baptism has a way of separating the tire kickers from the car buyers. Baptism is that act of going public with faith. Would you feel comfortable marrying someone who wanted to keep the marriage a secret? Neither does God. Baptism is like that wedding. It is the public proclamation of faith. It is one thing to have a personal, quiet faith and never share that with anyone. It is something else entirely to step out of the shadows in front of family and friends and a congregation, and colleagues, and demonstrate that faith in baptism. This step raises the ante. Jesus commanded His followers to teach baptism as they went into the world. Among His final words were, go and make followers of all people in the world and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, Baptism was no ho-hum ritual, no casual event. It was, according to the Apostle Peter, a pledge made to God from a good conscience. The Apostle Paul went on to say in Romans 6, 3 that we became a part of Christ when we were baptized. Some mystical union happens at the moment of baptism that we cannot even explain. Now. Do the bride and groom understand all the implications of their wedding? Do they, when they make their vows on the wedding altar, understand every struggle and every challenge that may await them? Of course not. But they make the pledge because of their love for one another. Does the believer, upon stepping into the waters of the baptistry, understand every temptation, every struggle? Do they understand every mystery about God and every? Uh, have they decoded every question in Scripture? Of course not. What they understand is that they know God loves them and they want to give their heart to that loving Father. Please understand, it is not baptism that saves us, but baptism demonstrates how we are saved. The invisible work of the Holy Spirit is dramatized in baptism in the work in the water this event is a willing plunge of the body and the soul into the promise and power of Christ everything about this moment is special the ritual of washing demonstrates our admission that apart from Christ we are dirty but in Christ we are made pure the ritual of burial signifies that we're willing to die to sin and self and we can be made alive again through Jesus Christ. Baptism effectively seals our union with Christ, uniting us to Him and His body. In a sense, Christ's death becomes our death and Christ's resurrection becomes our resurrection. Now, the topic of baptism always stirs a few questions. One of the most common questions I'm asked at the moment of baptism is, how long are you going to hold me under? And my response is, well, how many sins do you want forgiven? I've never drowned anyone yet. Now, seriously, there are some questions that tend to surface when we discuss baptism. One of the most common is, which is more appropriate, to baptize babies or to baptize people who are old enough to make a personal decision? Well, obviously, there are bright, godly, God-seeking people who land on two different sides of this question. But it seems clear that the New Testament demonstrates baptism as a willing pledge made by those who are old enough to recognize their sin, mature enough to comprehend the significance of the death of Christ, and independent enough to commit themselves to Him. It's important to note that there isn't a clear reference to a baby being baptized in the whole of the Bible. Almost every time that baptism is mentioned, It is preceded by some command for belief. We read earlier Acts 2.38. Change your hearts and lives and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So we're never told to be baptized and then believe, but we're told to believe, to have faith, and then display that decision by associating ourselves with Christ in baptism. So we see that baptism is the initial step of a faithful heart. It's the initial step of a faithful heart. And this decision requires significant levels of maturity. At Oak Hills, we do not baptize babies. We dedicate babies. We consecrate babies. We have special baby blessing services, although I've often thought it'd be more appropriate to dedicate the parents, bless the parents. But we do this on a regular basis. But these are dedication ceremonies, not baptisms. Another question is, what if I was baptized as an infant? What should I do? I have been baptized, but I don't remember it. And it wasn't by immersion. Well, my response to you would be, be grateful that you have parents who cared enough about you to set you apart for a holy work and to set you apart from God. Because of their devotion, you now have an opportunity to complete their prayer, to complete their prayer by willingly submitting to adult baptism. Adult baptism in no way is a sign of disrespect for what your parents or your family did. In fact, it is a fulfillment of their prayers. They were setting you apart, asking the Heavenly Father to bless you with wisdom, and you have grown to the point now that you can make your own decision. So be grateful for the heritage of faithful, concerned parents. But don't be negligent of your responsibility as an adult to make your personal pledge toward God in baptism. Another question is, how much do I need to know in order to be baptized? Well, you need to know this. You're a sinner and Jesus is your Savior. That's it. You're a sinner and Jesus is your Savior. Now, as you grow in Christ, you'll learn many more things. But baptism is less graduation and more matriculation. You're showing up saying, I want somebody to teach me. I know that Jesus is my Savior and that I am a sinner. That's what they knew in the, in the book of Acts. We read earlier the sermon from Peter on the day of Pentecost. He concluded that sermon by saying, God has made Jesus the man you nailed to the cross, both Lord and Christ. There's the sermon. How did they respond? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What did the jailer understand? Maybe you remember the story of Paul and Silas in the jail. Paul and Silas said to him, the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all the people in your house. And how did the jailer respond? At that hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. Then he and all his people were baptized immediately. What about the message of Philip to the official from Ethiopia? Philip began to speak and told him the good news about Jesus. And what was his response? The officer said, Look, here is water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Both Philip and the officer went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So the similarities repeat themselves. The message and response are consistent. The message is Jesus and the response is always voluntary. A simple faith in Christ and an immediate response to faith in baptism. When I was in college, a friend asked me if I would baptize her. I had never baptized anyone, so I called another friend who knew how to do it. I said, what do I do? He said, it's very simple. Before the baptism, after you receive the person's confession, you give three instructions. Number one, hold your nose. Number two, bend your knees. And number three, let me do the work. It was dozens of baptisms later in my life before I realized there's some pretty good theology in those instructions. I don't know about the hold your nose part, but bend your knees, let someone else do the work. Baptism is a willing bow, a humility, a sense of trust, placing yourself in the hands, not of a pastor or preacher but in the hands of God, bending your knees and letting Him do the work, letting Him lower you into the tomb of Christ so you participate in the death of Christ and letting Him raise you first spiritually but then ultimately physically just as He raised Christ from the dead. Again, we don't understand all the mysteries of baptism. It is beyond our capacity to do so. But baptism is not graduation, it's matriculation. You're the first grader. Yes, you're even the kindergartner. And you're showing up at school saying, Lord, teach me. I want to be a learner. I want to be a disciple. Don't allow baptism to be something it's not. Apart from the cross, apart from the grace of Christ, a dunk into the water matters nothing. And if you're thinking a dunk in the water is going to save you, you've missed the message of the cross and the gospel of grace. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by putting our trust in what Christ has done for us. And at the same time, don't prevent baptism from being what God intended. This is no casual event. It's no optional command. It is a willing plunge into the power and promise of Christ. Baptism is the first step of a believer if it was important enough for Jesus to command isn't it important enough for you to obey? If it was important enough for Jesus to do isn't it important enough for you to follow? In baptism God signs and seals our conversion to him for all we may not understand about baptism we can be sure of one thing it is a holy moment and so father we now come into this holy moment anticipating the baptism of these your servants your children aware that in the heavenlies you are consecrating them setting them apart for a special work we thank you lord for what we see is what you have done the cleansing the burial and the resurrection And Father, we pray not only for these, but for those who right now are being prompted by you to be baptized this morning, who came with no plans to do so, but you came into their hearts, and you have plans for them. May they be obedient to the prompting of your spirit. Through Christ we pray, and all the church said,